Attention all personnel! The Officers Club is now open to everyone. Bartenders Seabus Brian and Seabus John are ready to make all your favorites, including Hawkeye's Desiccated Martini, Trapper John's Zombie, or even Frank Shirley Temple. With a Jane Withers Chaser, mention the Vash Files to get a discount. That is all! Welcome to episode three, part three of the Mash Files, where we look, where we are currently looking at season three of Mash, the classic television series. I'm your host, as always, Seabus Brian, here with my co-host. Haha, <laughs> <laughs> see, my co-host, Seabus John. Seabus John. See previous answer. See previous answer. Well, we just did season sixteen. We are now on. Uh, oh, sorry, episode 16. We are now on episode 17, The Consultant, from January 21st, 1975. Hawk learns more than a new sp- uh, surgical technique in Tokyo when they meet a vet of three years, of three wars, sorry, who turns to alcohol when confronted with incoming casualties at the 4077. Directed by Gene Reynolds and written by Robert Clane, Clane, K L A N E, Clane, Clan, eh? who unfortunately just passed on August 29th, 2023, at the age of 81. Mm-hmm. He wrote six episodes of MASH. He wrote The National Lampoon's European Vacation. He wrote Weekend at Bernie's. And he wrote one of my favorite movies, The Man with One Red Shoe. Uh, veteran, veteran character actor. Joseph Marker plays Major Taylor. You may know him as Bishop O'Hara in Sister Act. Yes, and it's probably Joseph Mayer. Mayer? Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll go with that. Because I have the same note. Is it M-A-H-E-R? Yes. Okay. Yeah, he was the British officer Mayer. who signs off Mayer. on the arterial transplant. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, would you like a cup of tea? <laughs> sure wouldn't like a splash. Sure you wouldn't like a splash. Uh, no, thank you. A British artery in an American leg, eh? Probably develop an irresistible urge to drive on the left side of the road. <laughs> yeah, quite. <laughs> Starring as Dr. Anthony Borelli, we have Alfonso Giuseppe Giovanni Roberto da Burzo. Cha cha cha. Better known as. Robert Alta. Robert Alta, who's he? Gee, I don't know. Who could he possibly be? Is there any familiar reference there? I don't know. I think it may be Alan's father. Could be. (laughs) The signpost in this episode lists Coney Island, Los Angeles, Tokyo, Burbank, Decatur, San Francisco, and Indianapolis. No Boston. Hmm. Yeah. Charles will bring it back. Charles always, yes, Charles will bring it back. There is no life after Boston. So they, uh, Hawkeye and Trap, are off in Tokyo to learn stuff. New surgical procedure, New even surgery. though they don't, yeah. They don't ever go to any of the surgical procedures. <laughs> to They just fool around in Tokyo. And they meet this guy in the officer's bar. Uh, Hawkeye just seems very intrigued by the guy and what he's talking about and whatnot. Hawkeye kind of, uh, I don't want to say talks up the 4077, but kind of gets uh, Dr. Borelli's kind of interest back into kind of being in the in the mix because he's just kind of stuck up in tokyo you know and he's been in three wars and he knows what it's like 
But uh, I don't know if he says he misses it. I don't think he says that. But, you know, he's like, oh, you should be where we are. And he's like, oh, I've been there a couple times. Uh, yeah, he's, what was the line? He said, yeah, I did my bidding in World War One and two. Yeah. <laughs> and when they're at the bar, uh, at the bar, a vodka Gibson is ordered. This is basically a vodka martini, but instead of an olive, it has a pickled onion. And Trap orders a zombie. What are you drinking? I'd love a zombie. Necrophiliac. A zombie, please. Yes, sir. And keep making them until I turn into one. Here's how to make a zombie. One and a half ounces of Jamaican rum. One Ooh. and a half ounces of Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico gold rum. One ounce of 151 rum. Yeah, yeah. Three quarters lime juice. One ounce of Don's mix which is it's uh, cinnamon and sugar and water. There's an ingredient that it's F-A-L-E-R-N-U-M. So pronounce, pronounce that however you want. Uh, ginger and lime and almond flavors, a teaspoon of grenadine, and four dashes of pernod, which is <laughs> anise liqueur, and a dash anise, of bitters. Maybe? Yeah. That seems like an awful lot of ingredients for an officer's club. Well, there's also a mint sprig garnish. <laughs> but, that, just, that just seems like a lot for an officer's club in the military. Definitely. And he gets it rather quickly. <laughs> it's like, oh, he made that real quick. Mm. Uh, but that is definitely something that would turn me into a zombie. <laughs> That's uh, three, four ounces of rum all by itself. That's a lot of, yeah, it's like, and even then, I mean, well, I, and I, I don't know the history of rum. I know it's been around for a while, but 151, was it around them in the 1950s? I don't know. Maybe. Um, but the drink that uh, Trap gets has cherries and oranges in it. So <laughs> I'm not sure he gave them what he asked for. Yeah, knows. And they leave without paying for their drinks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but Dr. See. Borelli comes to the 4077. <laughs> Apparently, Margaret is uh, rather smitten. Frank uses a line that I thought was very funny. Keep drooling down your front. You'll have to change your bra. Frank. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. It's like, Frank, you're not jealous, are you? <laughs> Second and final appearance by Tad Harino as the bartender. He played the first Kim Luck in Officer of the Day in Season 2. Oh, the first one, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. The character played by Art Robert Alda has the same surname as Giovanni Alfonso Borelli, a 17th century Italian physiologist who carried out landmark research in blood constituents and biomechanics. His birth date was January 28th, which is also the birth date of Alan Alda. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Borelli says he had enough of the front lines of World War One and two. Alda was 60 when this episode aired, and at the... Um, at that age during the Korean War, Borelli would have been in his early 20s at the time of World War One, So that makes it possible. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. There is a continuity. 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 Thank you. <laughs> now I'm having problems talking. See, it's contagious. you got to stop this. <laughs> yes, I have a continuity goof here. As Radar drives the Jeep, it starts off with serial number 69303.82 while picking up Hawkeye and McIntyre. Then the Jeep is shown as very muddy when they reach the helipad. The Jeep has no mud, and its serial number has changed to 111-72419. He went through the time-space barrier. I guess. Got it up it's, to it, miles it, an hour. Is that what it is? Up to the up the hill and you know, it takes flight? Yeah. <laughs> it is a long trek up the hill. I know I've done it. Yep. 
Um, one thing that was I noticed was that it, when they're in the the officers' club there in Tokyo, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Borelli asks Hawkeye and Trapper if it's okay for them to be an officer's club. But at least three customers in the background are wearing suits and ties, which certainly wouldn't pass muster for a military establishment. Hmm. Do you have to have your uniform on to get into the club? Uh, hmm. Sure. It just, Maybe. to me, it seems like that would not, if you're in a military club, you would have expected to probably wear your uniform. Maybe. I would think. Maybe. What do they call those? Class A uniforms or something like that? Something that dress you know, uniform, or, yeah, dress uniform, yeah, basically, yeah. But I, I kind of like I what, do think you're right. They have a kind of like what Borelli is wearing. It's like a brown jacket with yeah. his, you know, all of his, you know, medals and pins, exactly, and, and accommodations. Uh, yeah, and just before we recorded this episode, I needed to confirm this was correct. But there is a scene where Henry is in the pool and Frank is talking to him about um, the fact that the, you know that they never, att- you know, that Hawkeye and Trapper never attended one thing in Tokyo, mm-hmm. and he uses the word Frank says is. I have inconvertible proof. Colonel, I have inconvertible proof that Pierce and McIntyre did not attend one single lecture the whole time they were in Tokyo. The actual word is inconvertible. <laughs> inconvertible. He found it in a convertible. Is that what it was? <laughs> that's that's okay. it. He met his informant in a convertible. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> what else you got for this episode? Uh, in this episode, Borelli comes to the 4077 and tells Frank that he can save his patient's wounded leg with an arterial transplant. When Hawk and Trap go to retrieve the uh, arterial artery from another unit, the shelling and the war starts to sink in and, and get to Borelli, and he gets drunk. Upon their return, Hawk finds Borelli, who tells him he'll have that, that Hawk will have to do the surgery because he he's can't do it. He's, he's, yep. he's drunk. So he'll, he'll assist him. But he's like, I can't do it. You'll have to do it. Hawk's like, I've never done it before. He's like, I'll I'll assist you. Um, after the successful surgery, Hawk is upset with Borelli and tries to make him feel guilty for being too drunk to uh, to operate. This um, this immediately reminded me of episode three, season six, called Fallen Idol, mm-hmm. where Radar is disappointed at Hawk for having to leave OR due to a having, hangover yep. that he, well, see the episode, you'll figure out why. But I just thought this was, you know, a role reversal. Mm-hmm. You had, you know, Radar was like, how could you have done that? And Hawk's saying basically the same thing to to Borelli. And if I remember correctly, Fallen Idol was written by Alan Alda. So maybe he got his inspiration for that sort of scene from this one. Could be. I don't want to say stole the plot, but mm-hmm. it definitely a, a, a new look at, hey, the character said this at this time, and then when we get to Fallen Idol, I'll probably bring this back up. Right. Because I haven't actually seen the episode in quite some time. Mm-hmm. But the the reversal, the road reversal was something that kind of caught my eye. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I can blame Borelli too much because he hadn't been in a war situation in quite some time. So we could see maybe it getting to him. We don't know really his past. He probably shouldn't have gotten drunk, but when you're you're in the middle of that sort of situation again and it triggers what you have already been through. I'm not saying that maybe Hawkeye should have been a little lighter on him. He could still assist. He wasn't he wasn't passed out or anything, you know. Right. And fortunately, you know, the the, the surgery did go well. So yeah, I fault him a little bit, but not too much. 
I'm interested to see when we get to Fallen Idol what that looks like. You know, whether or not Hawkeye... What excuses Hawkeye has. You did a good job, Doctor. Somebody had to. I didn't drink at all in World War One. Was liquor invented then? In the second war, I never drank until I was through working. One for the road, Doc? Or two or three? Maybe you'd like to take a few home in a doggy bag. Please don't confuse my explanation for an apology. The place got to me. I wanted to get into the game, but I'd forgotten how rough the game can be. Uh-huh. Didn't you ever have that problem? Not to your degree. What's that you're leaning on, a bubblegum machine? You have a great many gifts, Doctor. It's a pity you can't number compassion among them. I'm suffering from the three sure signs of age. Bit of a spread, gray hair, feet of clay. I wish you better luck on your third war. Yeah, it's he's he's been through it all. He's seen it. It's kind of like, it kind of reminds me of the episode in season six or seven when Herman, um, Edward Herman, uh, he played the lead vampire in The Lost Boys. Oh, okay. When he appears in that episode where he apparently served in the Pusan perimeter and he loses his touch and, you know, he just ultimately he retreats to the um, the swamp and, you know, and so forth and he says, I can't get the blood off my hands even though there's no blood on his hands. Oh, I think you know? I vaguely remember that, yeah. Yeah, I, again, that was another episode that I loved because mm-hmm. I, I don't know what it is. I always liked er, uh, Edward Herman anyway. But yeah, actor. it was, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it just kind of reminded me of that episode a little bit. Here is a doctor who has, you know, seen his share of the front lines and, you know, seen enough blood and gore and, and, you know, a little PTSD from all that kind of stuff. That's like, I can't do it anymore. Yeah. You know, so it's like, again, it's, you know, it was a great line. It's like, you know, you you have a great many gifts. It's just, a, it's a shame you can't number compassion among the others. Which is. I, and I wish you on, I wish you better on your third war. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it's slightly like off kilter for Hawkeye because, you know, in previous episodes, he has a lot of compassion. Yeah. <laughs> a lot, you know, it's, yeah. it's there a lot. Yeah. But a really good episode, I thought. Really yep. done well. I can't find any faults in it at all. It was interesting because after they had that scene, the episode ends, I want to say it, Borelli is saying goodbye to everybody, he's on the helipad, he gets in the helicopter and here comes Hawkeye. And at one point he kind of tips his hat to him, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that was obviously a way of saying, okay. Did Hawkeye salute him? No. Okay. No, he did not salute him. He just he did, he was wearing this ball. He was wearing this hat, you know, and he just sort of lifts it up. Oh right, the yeah, the the Donald Sutherland hat from the movie, basically yeah. the yeah. buck the bucket hat, like the one that you wore. Kind of like yeah, it was kind it was along those lines. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. So, but um, yeah. So again, it was a a little bit of a I think a little growth for the character of Hawkeye in this episode. You know, realizing that you know not everybody is you. Yeah. You know, there are people out there that. You know, you you can you can be disgruntled with you being in the Korean War, but until you have served the lengths of some of these other people, you know, you really don't have any business judging others, you know, for their choices or the you know the outcomes, you know, based on things that have happened to them. Yeah, it's like you're dealing with it for the first time. You're you're dealing with your first war, hopefully your last, and you're leaning up against that bubblegum machine, and mm-hmm. it's like, you know, I've been through three of them. 
And mm-hmm. yeah, I might have leaned a little harder, but let's see how hard you're leaning on it mm-hmm. in your third. Yeah. Yeah. I wish you better on your third war. Yeah, there was it was it was a good episode. Definitely. And on to episode eighteen, House Arrest from February fourth, nineteen seventy five. Missed Groundhog Day Groundhog Day by two days. Mm-hmm. Hawk is accused of hitting Frank and is placed under house arrest and treated with honors uh, mm-hmm. by the rest of the camp for his alleged hitting of Frank, which we all know he actually did. He stepped on a bar of soap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, which, you know, as soon as like this episode started getting started, I was like, hmm. So Frank is is pressing charges on Hawkeye for hitting him, but yet he didn't do it to Klinger when Klinger hit him. <laughs> oh, that's right, because he, yeah. he tried to take his, uh, his, his scarf bandana. away or whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh, well. Uh, let's see, I have Colonel Reese. Yep. The woman in charge of all the nurses in Korea arrives to observe uh, Margaret and her staff. This was directed by Hi Averback. He's back. Hi, Sorry. hi. Hi, hi. Yep. First first and only appearance by Mary Wicks. Mm-hmm. Legendary character. Actress. Yeah, great, great, great actress. Uh, she plays Colonel Reese. She also, uh, she was in I Love Lucy, White Christmas, The Music Man, Columbo. She was in an episode of Trapper John M.D. And she was in Sister Acts 1 and 2. Can you say that? Sister Acts 1 and 2? Sister Act 1 and 2. Okay. Sure. <laughs> Where she played Sister Mary Lazarus. A progressive convent? Sounds awful. I like my convent in Vancouver. Out in the woods. Wasn't all modern like some of these newfangled convents. We didn't have electricity. Cold water, bare feet, those were nuns. Sounds wonderful. <laughs> it was hell on earth. I loved it. This place is a Hilton. She was uh, also in several episodes of The Match Game. Oh, well, well, From the Gene Rayburn years. (laughs) That was a great show. It was. Yes. Uh, Let's see. What do I have here? Um, First of all, Colonel Reese. Creepy. Creepy? Creepy. Hmm. Uh, Let's see. Hawkeye asked Major Houlihan of the visiting Colonel Reese, what is he, another root canal wizard from Passaic? Uh, Loretta Swit is from Passaic, New Jersey. Oh, is she? Mm -hmm. She's a Jersey girl. (laughs) Yep. Uh, let's see. What do I have here? The camp is watching the film Leave Her to Heaven and from 1945 in the swamp. The film is shown as black and white in this episode, but in actuality, the film is known for its beautiful color cinematog- cinematography. <laughs> there we go. Maybe, I was going to say, maybe they didn't have a color projector, but I don't think that's how it works. No. <laughs> um, they couldn't get the color filmed. They got the negative. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Um, a quick tie-in to the movie that we never talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hawkeye punches Burns for snapping him with his towel. Mm-hmm. Um, Trapper punches Burns for blaming a Corbin in the movie. Oh, okay. Yep. Blaming yeah, he, bl- he blames a Corman, uh for the death of a soldier, even though it was actually Frank's fault. Is Frank played by Robert Duvall? Duvall, yep. Okay, yeah, yep. yeah. Um, but yeah, so in the movie Trapper gives him a good punch in the supply room or some sort of a room that it looked like it had supplies in it or whatever. Um, let's see. And apparently the role of Colonel Reese was written specifically for Mary Wicks. Understandable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think she does a great job. Yeah. No, she, you know, she, like I said, she's a great actress. I just, like I said, I just, I did not like her character. She's a little, uh, well, uh, I don't, she's a female version of, uh, Tosh? Stosh? 
Yeah, a little bit. Sort of. Yeah. <laughs> the only difference, though, is is that she's basically promising him favors. Yeah. You know, she promises him favors for something in return. You little fool. Don't you know I can do things for you? Things? I hold a pentagon in the palm of my hand. How would you like stateside? Would you like to play the palace? Walter Reed Hospital. Washington, D.C.? Roger. You could take care of the biggest people in the country. Senators, congressmen. G-men? I can put J. Edgar Hoover's gallstones right in your pocket. How does that strike you? Colonel Burns. Okay, so in there, uh, this is kind of a lengthy, um, lengthy comment here. This was again from my research, because um, there's a scene in the episode where you know Hawkeye's in the swamp and uh, Father Mulcahy comes in with a what's called a prisoner of war package. Mm-hmm. The American Red Cross Prisoner of War Package Number Ten was filled by Red Cross volunteers in the United States. They were shipped to the International Committee of the Red Cross Warehouse in Geneva, Switzerland. From Switzerland, the boxes were shipped to nearly 1.4 million Allied prisoners of war held in Germany. The boxes usually contain the following. Army spread, canned bacon, luncheon meat, salmon, dehydrated corned beef, canned cheese product, soluble coffee, powdered milk, and chocolate D-bars. Non-food items included toilet paper, soap, paper towels, can opener, needles, thread, patching cloth, vitamin capsules, salt, and tobacco. Hmm. They have a lot of everything. Right? It's a lot of stuff. I want to know more about this canned bacon. Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> canned bacon. Soluble coffee. Yeah. What's soluble? Yeah, that's a good... Uh, yeah. <laughs> what's soluble mean? Yeah, I don't know. Hey, Siri. <laughs> what, what's soluble mean? He, yeah, never, really. he never listens Well, it's like, me. you know, how many times did you hear the term saltpeter in, this, in the series? Well, that's a... Yeah, but that's a thing. I know. You know it, it has. I had never has, heard of saltpeter until I yeah, watched Mass. It has attributes that we won't discuss. Yeah, no. <laughs> so uh, I have whilst under house arrest, Hawk is escorted by two MPs from the latrine back to the swamp, and Hawkeye quips, "Pick me up at eight o'clock. I'll be dining at Sardi's tonight. What'll I wear? What'll I wear?" Sardi's is a New York City legendary restaurant that opened in 1921. Near Broadway, it is still open today and mm. is considered to be the center of Broadway's upper class. The restaurant is known for its caricatures of famous people hung on the walls. Okay. Uh, Sardi's is also the birthplace of the Tony Award. Hmm. Yes. Okay. Uh, Henry mentions, no, no, that's two moon mullins. When Trap offers the word socko to describe Frank Hitting the sink. Ah, uh, yes. Two Moon Mullins, yes. Moon Mullins is a comic strip that uh, ran from June 1923 to June of 1991. Wow. Yeah. The central character being a would-be price fighter named Moon. Mm. All right. <laughs> so Socko would fit. Yeah. I totally agree with that. <laughs> that is that is a long run. Is that That's like s- almost 70 years? 23 to 91? All right, so when Blake is trying to get Major Burns to drop the charges against Hawkeye, and Hawkeye learns that under house arrest he'll be confined to his tent, Burns then asks, you think it's funny now, but what are you going to do during your five years at Leavenworth? Well, according to the Uniform Code of Military Justice, striking a superior officer carries a sentence of up to ten years imprisonment, not five. Wow. Yep, take that (laughs) stuff seriously. Uh, Father Mulcahy is worried about eating 
meat on Friday. Is that steak? Mm-hmm. Real steak? Water buffalo. It's only got 100 miles on it. Try it. Mmm. 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 That, that's delicious. Mm-hmm. Oh, my. This is Friday. <laughs> no, it's Saturday. We're over the dateline. Oh. Phew. Oh, dear. That was close. <laughs> if it's Friday in Korea that it would most likely be Thursday in the States, as Seoul is 13 hours ahead of the States. So maybe he wouldn't have to worry about it if he looked at a different time zone. <laughs> Frank states... The man's a prisoner and he's treated like the Aga Khan. The Aga Khan, which is a title held by the descendants of the Prophet of Muhammad. Aga Khan translates to Aga, Master slash Lord, and Khan slash uh, King. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. The Wrath of King? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, the last note I had for this episode, Hawkeye tells the nurse that the, patients he, that the patient he's working on has lead from a claymore in him. The claymore mine wasn't produced until 1960, too late for the Korean War. Additionally, shrapnel from a claymore would be steel, not lead. Hmm. Really? A little technical detail there. Claymore, not until 60s. Okay. Yeah. I guess it was just a sword then. Uh, I also have Radar Gets Elevator Shoes. Mm-hmm. And Hawkeye, in his big brother mode, says, yep. you don't need those. Nope. Give, give, give them to a short person or something to that effect, he says. <laughs> and I can go out. I can go, go in. in. I, I can, can go, go out. out. In, go in, in, out, 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 in, out, in. Yep. <laughs> I yep. thought this was a really good episode. Oh, I love I that. really enjoyed it. Yeah, um, and that was actually one episode. It's like, you know, because you and I, we've talked about putting an episode together for... Um, to discuss, you know, different kinds of uh, surgical instruments, mm-hmm. and there were there were some mentions of, her, you know, when um, Colonel Reese is kind of going over some of the instruments. See that, Major? If you keep your straight scissors facing up, your curved ones facing down, you'll never get them mixed up. Yes, ma'am. One more three or so. Sutures here, retractors there, and Army and Navy goulet and ribbon. And in this basin, the Richardson Balfour and Deaver. <laughs> Rebeguve, isn't that that singer? Yeah, something. So, anyway, yeah, good episode. Um, yeah, and the funny thing was, it's like ultimately, how did Hawkeye get out of house arrest? Oh, uh, because Margaret said Margaret backed up Trapper, saying that he slipped on a bar of soap and hit the sink. Oh, that's right. Because yeah, at the end of the episode, that's right. He gets out because he's. I can go in. I can, I can go, go out. out. I can it's and like, then, but you have to understand, Frank. You know, I'm just a hitter. You're a jumper or something like that. Yeah, that was the only. The, the only downside was that that Frank was being charged. Yeah, with, and again, with, that's that's what my disdain for yeah, her character because okay. it's like all of a sudden she's like pucker up and he starts kissing her and then Margaret walks in rape. Yeah, you know, that, and I'm just like, oh, that's you know, not cool, lady. That'll not get cool. You. Okay, yeah, I forgot that 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 happened and yep. then how Frank gets out of that. Yeah, how, yeah, exactly. How would Frank get out of that? It's he like, probably paid her off. It's like you know, and she even <laughs> said it's like, well, what you know, like, uh, Blake was like, well, what do you want me to do? It's like file charges. Yeah. So yeah, no, that was yeah, that was not cool. Okay, not we'll cool. just ignore that in part. <laughs> All right, on to episode nineteen. Nineteen aid station from February eleventh, nineteen seventy five. Hawk, Marjorie, Margaret, <laughs> have me doing that. Hawk, Margaret, I don't have and doing Klinger. anything. It's <laughs> make, all of you, dude. Make an emergency trip to an aid station at the front lines. Basically, their doctor is killed. And they say, we need people, please. Mm -hmm. Send them up here. We're being shelled. Uh, Directed by William K. 
Spell it. Jurgensen. J U R G E N S E N. Jurgensen. Jurgensen. Mm-hmm. One of ten episodes that he directed, he was the cinematographer for 110 episodes of MASH, and he directed 10 episodes of MASH. Okay. Nice. nice. It's nice to be able to move up to the director's seat. Uh, at 3 minutes 10, Henry asks any volunteers and does it without moving his lips. That's a pretty neat trick. Yeah. He has that same ability. Radar taught him how to do it. Oh, they're both ventriloquists. (laughs) Yeah. This episode displays a different Margaret, very strong, assertive, very army. Yes. Okay, a little something I caught. When Frank is flossing his teeth and Trapper's trying to sleep, you can see Radar outside the swamp door waiting for his cue to enter. And when we get to it, there's, um, I think it was in, it's in uh, the next season of MASH, the episode called Covatus Captain Chandler. Um, Covatus? Covatus. Okay. Uh, the, the, there's a scene where at the very end after, cause he, this is the character or this was the episode where there's a, uh, a character who thinks he's Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. That was the episode it was called Corvatus Captain Chandler. Anyway, at the very end of that episode, you know, this is when Klinger's dressed up looking like Moses. He's got this big white beard mm-hmm. and everything else made out of cotton. Well, anyway. Do you have the tablets? Yeah, he had a tablet or something in his hand. But anyway, but after, you know, um, during that scene, the camera's outside the swamp and they're talking or whatever. And if you look carefully, you can see um, Jamie Farr in character standing on the other side of the swamp waiting for his cue to start walking. Because you can, you can see this white something, you know, just little little details that you catch. Anyway. Does, okay, how do you watch the episodes? One at a time. I know, but <laughs> do you put in the DVD? Do you watch them on Hulu? I've been watching them on Hulu just because it's easier. Okay, and it, I believe these episodes—they're not—they're not you know butchered. Right, right. Um, I'm thinking about that. Yeah, but is it? I'm trying to remember on Hulu. Is it reformatted to fit the screen, or does it have the two, the standard formation like it would have been broadcasted in with the bar, the black bars on either side? Because if it's if it's reformatted, then you will see more than was... Yeah, widescreen, you see more of what yeah, the camera sees. Yeah, because there's more there than yeah. it was when it was originally at, uh, uh, aired. I don't remember. I, don't remember. I think it is. I think I it is. Okay. Um, I had a note. It says, why does Klinger decide to drop the dress wearing uh, for his mission to the front aid station? But I think the the previous episode that we talked about... Uh, where Klinger, yeah, he's trying to get out, but he's not going to derelict his duty. You know, he's not. He's, he doesn't just stand in the middle of the camp wearing a dress going, I'm crazy, send me home. He actually does what does, he's supposed he to. Does, he you know, goes, yeah. he, he actually helps people in, in the unit. So I think I answered my own question previously. You know, he's still there to, to help because Rainbow Bridge, he volunteers to go on, on the mission Rainbow Bridge. Uh, well, so, yeah. What was it? The line he says, "I'm not. Get, I can't get out for fakery. I might as well try it for nutsery or something." Yeah. Effect. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I can see why. You know, I think this is definitely more character growth for for the character of Klinger going mm-hmm. going to Rainbow Bridge, going to the aid station. This is Grumpy calling Snow White. Grumpy calling Snow White. Come in, Snow White. This is Snow White. How you doing, Klinger? Ah, oh, we're setting things up. Is it terrible? It'll take a little work before it's only terrible. What was that? 
just another flat tire. They're shelling us with live shells. Exploding live shells. This is Grumpy. Sign it off. Oh, it's uh, Snow White over and out. Good luck, Grumpy. Clinger. You know, he has to take his hands and, you know, wash an alcohol. And the next thing you know, he's having Hawkeye grabs his hand and says, here, push on this. And he's like putting oh, his yeah. hand inside a soldier or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, as someone who deals with dry skin a lot, especially in the winter, just washing your hands constantly mm-hmm. and rubbing alcohol. Ugh. It's like, no, all the little cuts and the drying out that it would do to your hands. Yep. But yeah, I guess they didn't have a bunch of disposable gloves up on the front. Yep. And then having to help somebody and hurt them at the same time, you know, here, put pressure here, which stops the bleeding or whatever, but doesn't feel good to the guy on the table. Oh, that's just that's, yeah, that's gotta hurt. a conflict of, of, of thoughts in your head. Like, I'm helping him by hurting him. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. There was, At the scene at the end of the, of the episode where, um, you know, they're on their way back to the 4077, um, of course, Klinger, at one point, he says, okay, I'm ready for the army again, and he takes off his military hat and puts back on the lady's hat. Okay. Uh, ready for the army again. <laughs> you know, when I when you watch the reaction of Alan Alda and Loretta Swit as he did, it, it, they, that, that reaction almost seems to me almost genuine. I wonder if that was unscripted. Maybe. Or Maybe. at the very least, it was meant as a surprise. I could see that. Yeah. yeah. They probably did stuff like that. They put on um, the pillbox hat. <laughs> I'm ready for the army. Right, exactly. Is that what they call those kind of pillbox hats? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the, the little, the little ones that kind of look like a sailor's cap almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they're a little more ornate. Okay. At about uh, seven minutes and fifty seconds uh, into the episode, there's a shot of Frank and Margaret in her tent, and I, she gives this kind of long speech as she's packing, getting ready to go on this mission or whatever. And then she she says, when I'm done, I'm coming back to you for as much time as I have or whatever. And then she grabs his face and gives him a kiss. And the camera freeze frames for like several seconds. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I noticed that. Yeah, that's where she's laying out the whole, their their whole relationship. I know you're sorry you didn't volunteer, Frank. I know you didn't volunteer because you're a married man. It's practically monogrammed on your shorts. (laughs) And I know you can't leave your wife on account of the children. That and the fact that everything is in her name. Well, I'm a married man too, Frank. Married to the army. I don't want the future you offer, meeting behind garbage cans and behind laundry trucks. When the war's over and nothing good lasts forever, you'll go home, home to your wife's bony arms. I'll still be in the service. I'm an army brat, Frank. My father was a colonel and my mother was a nurse and I was conceived on maneuvers. The army's in my blood. I need its discipline, its traditions, I thrilled to the sight of a precise parade. I could faint from looking down at my own brass. That's why I volunteered, Frank, to serve the army I love. And don't you worry, I'm coming back. Coming back to you for whatever time we have left together because I'm not just Major Margaret Houlihan, army nurse. I'm also Margaret Houlihan, frail, vulnerable, sensitive female. And if you touch one nurse while I'm gone, I'll cut your hands off. How she remembered all those lines. I mean, that was one hell of a, you know, oh my God. That freeze frame. I I wonder, did they have to do that because they, like, somebody broke up or something? You know, like, they started laughing as soon as she started kissing him or something. Maybe the scene was, obviously the scene was supposed to go on longer. But, yeah, it is 
just a straight up you hit the pause button it it, it yeah, almost it was, it was yeah it almost lasts long enough for you to go wait what's wrong and grab your remote and go right hey. it's like wait a minute hit play <laughs> yeah 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 and they actually kept that um the 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 freeze frame of the scene they actually keep that it's, it's on the dvd that way and it's also on hulu yeah yeah so uh, let's see. Um, there again, as previously mentioned in our last episode, um, at the aid station, Klinger is shown removing the blood pressure cuff from an arm of a wounded soldier. It featured Velcro strips on the cuff. However, Velcro would not be available commercially until the late 1950s. Again, got it from radar. I guess so. <laughs> uh, let's see. In the operating room, when Trapper tells Blake that he'll finish up so that Blake can check Burns's work, Blake doesn't change his gloves before taking the suture needle from Burns which would result in blood cross-contamination. Mmm, naughty, naughty. Don't want to do that. <laughs> bad man, bad man. <laughs> uh, I found it kind of phony or forced, the, the, the juxtaposition with Frank... You really like that word, don't you? Complaining, yes. <laughs> with Frank complaining about the conditions at the MASH for Oh, the operating conditions. Oh, come on, nurse, get with it. Don't you see we need heavier silk? It's unfair. Making a surgeon work under these conditions. Colonel Blake, I insist that you order McIntyre to stop harassing me. It's tough enough doing surgery under these primitive conditions. And then cut to with Hawk and and Margaret up at the aid station where it's even worse. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, they're they're in a building without a roof, and and cutting in between those two and Frank complaining about all the little things. Oh, how can I work in this? And then I thought that was like, okay, I get what you're doing, but it just seemed a By little. The same time. Shut up. It seemed a little forced coming from yep. Frank, and it just mm, a little too squirrely for him. Uh, never really done that before. But they might have been kind of trying to chalk it up to him missing Margaret um, or whatnot. But I just, I was like, eh. And they, I think maybe they did it a few too many times than they should have. Yeah. Um, I think Hawk in this episode uh, and, and Margaret found a new respect for each other the characters uh seemed to grow a little bit more mm-hmm. not that margaret didn't know how good uh of a surgeon or doctor however you want to look at it you know humanitarian that that hawkeye was but i think she really saw more of it in this episode because you know well he doesn't really volunteer he, he drew the long sausage <laughs> or the short sausage whatever it was out of the bedpan. I, I think they found a, 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 a more respect for each other. He definitely started seeing her differently. She started seeing him differently. Maybe not just the, the, the crazy drunken womanizer who picks on Frank all the time. Uh, so I think those characters grew. We made it back to the Ford, Emmy Lou. I never thought I'd be happy to see that upholstered toilet again. Excuse me, ma'am. Major, I got to tell you something. But if you repeat this to anyone, I'll deny it. You are my favorite officer in the whole U.S. Army. Same goes for me, Major. You're aces. Thank you, Corporal. Doctor. I always go for the popcorn when it gets to the mushy part. Right. I think she also starts to see the real Frank, so to speak, especially with her her speech, you know, where he's like, oh, you've got your wife, you're never leaving her, I'm Army, Army's in my blood... You know, I'm never going to, and how Frank would never have done what she did. Right. Go up to an aid station and go through that. Um, And I think maybe she comes back and sees him as kind of less attractive. I'm not sure when they actually break up in the seasons of the series. Um, Do you remember 
Does does she go off to Tokyo and meet Donald Penobscot and yes. come back and say, I've met somebody? Mm-hmm. Does she break up with Frank then, or does she do it before that? Um, I don't think there was a breakup her going to um, Tokyo. I don't think there was any breakup there, but, you know, I think by season five. Um, that's when, you know, she, you know, they have the first episode bug out and then Margaret's engagement was episode two. And so, you know, fun to find out. She's like, well, you know, she met this man, you know, it's like, well, Frank's relationship's never going to go anywhere. So I need to move on. Yeah. And that's kind of what kind of drives Frank crazy because it's how he gets out and it exactly. goes to a loony bin. Yeah. Well, um, he, not exactly the loony bin. He ends up getting transferred back to the States and works in some, you know, state hospital or something there, okay. in, there in his, or in his hometown. I, I really like this episode. I thought it dealt well with all the subject matter, uh, albeit a little quickly, but then again, it's only a 26-minute show. Whatever. Yeah, something like but, that. Yeah, I thought it was really good. I really liked it. Um, two little goofs I found. Um, one I've noticed many times watching the series. Um, when Hawkeye, when they're back from the aid station, back at the 4077, this was in the closing scene. Um, Hawkeye is unpacking you know, after his return and you can see Trapper, he hates, he takes a tea bag and he sort of winds it around a nail that's stuck into the, 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 the pole, pole that holds the tent up or whatever. And as soon as he turns around and lets go, that thing, it just immediately it falls goes, to the floor, falls to the ground. Yep. <laughs> and then finally, um, while our heroes are at the aid station, radar enters the swamp because he's lonely. And as soon as he walks in and Trapper realizes it's him because he's kind of like half asleep in his, his cot, he immediately turns around, bolts up and uh, from bed, and he said, Chopper's radar, but it's nighttime. Choppers this is going fly on. at night. And mesh helicopters can't fly at night. So, is, this, is this the episode where everybody came in? Yeah. What, uh, probably, probably the way to have gotten around that, mm-hmm. instead of saying choppers, he should have said casualties. Casualties? Mm-hmm. Ambulances? Yep. So, yeah, that was, but yeah, no, I, I really like this episode. Again, it's kind of, you know, a little bit of growth for those two characters because now, like you said, Margaret, she may not like Hawkeye for many reasons, but at the same time, she greatly admires and respects his surgical skills Mm -hmm. and is thankful to have him at the 4077 to help patch these kids back together. I think she's seeing more of the real Hawkeye because the Hawkeye that, the, the, yeah, parts, maybe, the yeah. parts of Hawkeye that she doesn't like is really more of uh, what he what he does to get through the environment he's in. Right. You know. The, but I mean, it's like they're you know, Chivalry's not dead. He takes his blanket and covers over her yeah. along with him. So yeah, because you know she was nervous about you know being there and afraid they were going to get bombed and mm-hmm. whatever else. So and it was cold. Yeah, it's cold. <laughs> On to episode twenty. Love and marriage, love and marriage. <laughs> From February 18th, 1975, Hawk and Trap try to unite a Korean medic with his family in spite of Frank's interference, and they discover a young GI wants to marry a local girl for money. Directed by Lee Phillips, written by Arthur Julian. His only episode of MASH he wrote, he wrote 17 episodes of Maud, 28 episodes of Give Me a Break, and 26 episodes of The Carol Burnett Show. Was the only writer. They, they had a group of writers, but he was there. So, very funny. Um, we have Dennis Duggan. Duggan? Yeah, Duggan. Duggan plays 
private. Or, you know, it might be Duggan. I apologize. Duggan? It might be Duggan. Duggan. Yeah. Yeah. Plays Private Danny McShane. Clean cut boy. In this episode. Also starred as Colonel Potter's son-in-law yep. in Season 11, Episode 11, Strange Bedfellows. Yep. He is also directed and starred in Grown Ups 1 and 2, I Now Pronounce You Chuck and Larry, and You Don't Mess With Zohan, and Happy Gilmore, just to name a few. All right. His son, Kelly, plays on the Philadelphia Phillies Major League Baseball team since 2009. Wow. Cool. Uh, let's see. First of five appearances by Suntech O as Mr. Quang. Uh, this featured the next appearance by Jerry Fujikawa as Dr. Peck. The doctor with the Parker Brothers diploma. <laughs> so, um, first and only appearance by Gene Joe as Mrs. Quang. First and only appearance by Pat Lee is Soon He, soon to be Mrs. McShane. Uh, yes, this is the episode I was talking about before where we actually get a look at Mr. Quang. Yes. And he actually becomes a and this this actor he has hundred and nineteen acting credits, so he has he's also been in five episodes of MASH. Okay. So yeah, he's he's been all over the place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he's been in a lot of stuff. He was I remember him in an episode of Airwolf and um I know he's done a lot of other stuff. Yeah, definitely. Um, Prolific character actor. Yep. Having watched the thirtieth anniversary reunion, which was um in two thousand and two during the birthing scene on the bus, Gary Berghoff originally ad-libbed the line, Ooh, I saw her fuzzy wuzzy. <laughs> the line was cut from the final version, but Burt Metcalf, he relays this antidote during that uh, reunion show. Berghoff was like, I never said that. <laughs> he says, well, no, but it was in the dailies. But anyway, but that it was, was that was a funny, you nice. know. And, and of course, he, you know, it's like, oh my, and then of course, all of a sudden, Mrs. Kwan is, or Mrs. Quang is giving birth, and he's like, oh, don't do that. I mean, he's like freaking out, oh my God, on the bus. <laughs> Yeah, he's freaking out. Yet again, he's a farm boy. He's had to have seen. Well, he he. The one, there was one episode where he says, "Okay, I promise I won't watch my rabbits make out anymore or something." To right. That effect, you know. <laughs> so, uh, let's see. What do I have else here? Okay, Colonel Blake says that Trapper and Hawkeye are trying to gaslight him, and this saying refers to the 1944 movie of the same title, in which Charles Boyer tries to convince Ingrid Bergman that she is slowly going insane. Oh. Well, gaslighting. <laughs> Mr. Quang said he was drafted or volunteered, thrown into a truck by two men, yep. South Korean or North. But since he's at the he's at the MASH unit, you know, working with them, it must have been South. So I guess the South Koreans were kidnapping people. <laughs> I don't know to do their biddings. Um, yeah, I liked his line. He said, "It was at that point I realized I'd volunteered." Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> The Korean woman at the 4077 who wants teeth. Yep. First first the key, then the teeth. Then the teeth. Mm-hmm. Is she trying to get dentures? That'd be my guess. I, I, I hope that she wants yeah. the teeth. I don't know. I just thought that was kind of weird. She's just sitting there demanding teeth. Uh, Hawk mentions Zale mailed home three Jeeps. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so did Radar. Previous uh, previous season, season one, I think. Uh, this apparently was a problem in World War II. The Army had to start X-raying packages sent by servicemen. In an August 4, 1945, uh, Toronto Daily Star article, they were, they were talking about how Major Walter S. Palmer had found an officer mailing pieces of a Jeep home and another trying to mail home a fully equipped dental office. 
Okay. <laughs> so, so yeah, this is a, that was a bit of a problem. Where's all this stuff going? <laughs> well, you know. Uh, Mr. Pack offers Trap and Hawk $250 each to perform the premarital exam. Mm-hmm. This is $2,800 in today's money. And McShane is getting $1,000 from marrying Sun Yi. That's nearly $12,000 in 2023 money. So they're, ba- they're, they're paying him to make her his wife so he can take her back to the States so that she can go work for another... So they can work for some associates of mine. Yeah. Oh, okay, so they go up, they, <laughs> they get shipped off to, was it 43rd Street and somewhere? or mm. some, I forget what the phrase was. The Absolutely was. deplorable Yeah, that they would want to do anything like that. So I guess anytime that this Dennis Dugan guy does a character in MASH, he's kind of a lowlife. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> So uh, let's see here. Um, when when McShane tells the guys when he shows up, you know, that he wants to get married, um, Hawkeye quips. Does Judge Hardy know about this? Uh, this is a reference to the Andy Hardy series made popular by MGM in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. Andy, played by Mickey Rooney, would often seek out the advice of his virtuous father, the Judge, played by Lewis Stone. I know Mickey Rooney. Good actor. Oh, very good actor. Uh, let's see. Um, and here's some something I found in research. Trapper says that Mr. Quang is up on desertion charges. But according to military law, desertion is based on the intent never to return to duty. Mr. Quang left that base for the birth of his child and seemingly had no intention of fleeing his military obligation. He should have been listed as AWOL, which is, of course, accurate and less severe, is a less severe charge of leaving the base without a pass, even though... We, he actually did have a signed pass that Colonel Blake didn't recall signing. True. And now that I think about it, as you're saying all that, and as I, I went through his drafting uh, or volunteering, he wasn't an, an army, uh, not officer, but just he, sort of. Yeah. He wasn't a soldier. He wasn't part of the army. So any of their roles, he really probably wouldn't apply to him he was probably a south korean soldier mm-hmm. so to speak so yeah hmm. it was it was at first it was almost kind of felt like he was like an exchange student kind of yeah somebody observed him thinking he had good surgical aptitude and i remember him saying he's like i was very grateful to him or something yeah the people that kidnapped me sent me here yeah so, something yeah <laughs> How something nice like that of them. yeah i was a student at the university of seoul when the war broke out Walking there one day, two soldiers jumped out of a truck and threw me into the back. At that moment, I realized I'd volunteered. Fortunately, I was sent to the 121st hospital where a medical officer felt I had surgical aptitude. I'm very grateful to him. Well, let's face it, medical officers are sweethearts. (laughs) I welcome the transfer here. Since your reputation as skillful surgeons is well known, Somebody's reading those leaflets we dropped. Tipsy da. Shalom. Oh, um, let's see. And last comment I had, or the last note I had, was during the poker game, Zale states that the officers live better and, quote, eat better. But throughout the series, the doctors routinely eat the same food yeah. in the same mess tent as the enlisted men. <laughs> this is true. Except yeah. for the episode Officers Only, where, of course, they get the officers club, and so Radar shows the sign there on the one table, enlisted only. Yeah, or or when they're radar. Eating. This is your aunt and uncle. Stop that. At least when they start to try to eat the uh, the ribs, 
Right. It's just the officers. Yeah, who, who ultimately ate those ribs? Yeah, hopefully them. I have to admit, they actually look pretty good. They did. Absolutely. Uh, Trap mentions the movie The Good Earth. This is a 1937 movie that won Oscars for Best Actress, Best Cinematography, and was nominated for Best Director. Cool. Uh, I have a note here that I'm glad Wayne Rogers got a good scene. Uh, this is when he's confronting McShane, mm-hmm. and I just thought the acting he did the acting in the scene was really good, and I just I was really glad that Wayne Rogers got that sort of uh, scene to do. He gives you a thousand clams to marry Broadway Rose East. Then after the ceremony, you two part company. She goes to work for Pac's friends in the States at the corner of 42nd Street and somewhere. And you run to the post office for a money order. Really, sir? You give me one more sir and I'm going to prescribe a 24-hour enema. (laughs) Okay, okay. Now listen, why shouldn't an enlisted man get in on the gravy? Everybody else is making a buck over here. Why shouldn't I? Don't sweat it, Captain. Call the thousand dollars the bride's dowry. Old Korean tradition. Hey, boy next door. There's another old Korean tradition. It's called tuberculosis. What? I'm afraid there's a shadow on the lung of the former future Mrs. McShane. Come on, you're just saying that to blow my deal. Your deal is blown. Take a look. Of course, at a thousand bucks a shot, I'm sure you'll be able to find true love again. Yeah, I thought that was a really good episode, or a really good scene, and I'm glad he got it. Yep. I, I know he's not... He's he was not, feeling a little he's slighted. Not, he's not long for this... Yeah. <laughs> ...for this series. Trailer. Yep. Uh, other than uh, Radar should have been okay with seeing Birth... <laughs> that's yeah. all I have for that one. Yep. Good episode. Good, yeah, I fun, ep- good fun episode. episode. And, you know, again, a little that night, is it, how's it pronounced? Naivete. Naivete, uh, naivete. Yeah. Yeah, radar and, you know, and being on a bus is like, you know, I'll be, go, I'll be, it's like, I'll stop us. Let's go get some hot wires. There's no time for that. It's, I'll be glad to go out and look for some. Maybe there's a hot spring near here. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway. So yeah. that brings us to the episode 21, The Golden Arches. Big Mac! <laughs> Mac attack! <laughs> February 25th, 1975. The camp prepares for a visit from General Douglas MacArthur. Clinger sees this as an as a keen opportunity to get a Section 8, which he already got and turned down. Directed by Don Weiss. Veteran, uh, <laughs> directed by Don Weiss. Uh, this stars veteran character actor Graham Jarvis. Yep. Colonel Whiteman. Plays Colonel Whiteman. He has over 140 acting credits. And this is the episode where we have the return of Loudon Wainwright III as Captain Spaulding. And, yes. of course, he sings. I don't remember what he sings, though. Um, oh, Tokyo? Yeah, no, it's not Oh, Tokyo. No. <laughs> He does a little ditty about uh, the impending about, visit. About McCarthy coming? Yeah. Yeah, and I put in my notes here, thank, third and final parentheses, thankfully. <laughs> no more music. So this was the one where he was kind of standing in the corner, and, and all of a sudden they're like, oh, Spalding, come over here and finish for me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what? Okay. Yeah, he's back again. Woohoo. Uh, moist lap sponges. Spalding, finish up for me, please. This is the, this is the episode where I mentioned... 
that uh, MacArthur was removed from command of Korea, the Korean conflict on April 11th, 1951. And in past episodes, like Radar's report, it's stated that this is that episode at least took place on October of 1951. So it's not really possible for General MacArthur to be visiting them two seasons later. Okay. <laughs> Uh, first and only appearance by Robert Courtley as General Douglas MacArthur, even though he is uncredited. Uh, let's see. Um, it's such a quick thing, too. He just drives like drives, I. Yeah, so much for staying there. He was supposed, yeah. It's like they went through all this stuff. But So let's see. In the mess tent, when General MacArthur's aide is briefing everyone about the general's visit, the roof of the tent above where Hot Lips is sitting is folded back, revealing the studio set behind it. Really? Mm-hmm. Holy. You would probably only see it if you had a widescreen television and we're watching the DVD or Hulu or whatever. Yeah. Okay, in the final line of Captain Spaulding's song for General MacArthur's arrival, he sings, With your corn cob pipe and your five gold stars. Well, it's not Corregidor, you know it's only Korea. It's a lousy little war, but we'd still love to see you. And I'm sure we can scrounge up a beach. And you can splash in and give us a speech <laughs> with your corn cob pipe and your five gold stars. The stars of general of a general, regardless of rank, are silver, not gold. Oh, this one should have been common knowledge to any soldier, I would think. Hmm. Especially if you're an officer such as Captain Spaulding. Uh, let's see. My last note for this episode. After receiving the phone call from Colonel Whiteman about the pending visit of General MacArthur, Radar runs out the door leading to the compound. Since Blake was in the OR at the time, shouldn't he have gone through the door leading to the OR, which would have been about five or six feet to the right of the front door? Again, just like when he took the the Mm -hmm. one lady out to go get her TV shot or whatever. Right. (laughs) It's like, why are you leaving? It's right there. Yeah. Getting yep. his exercise. Yeah, running, I guess. Running around. He's, ta- he's, ta- he's taking the scenic route. Uh, I noticed Colonel Whitman. He's wearing a diagonal white cross on a red background. I was like, what is that? It's like a arm patch that he's wearing. Uh, this is the symbol of the 8th Army, which MacArthur did not command. Hmm. <laughs> so I'm not sure why he's wearing it. Good detail. Maybe he was brought in from that. I don't know. I thought this was a fun episode. Yeah, uh, I enjoyed it. Not too serious, not too anything. It was just fun. It was better than filler. But and we yeah, get to see Klinger the one and only time dressed up as the Statue, Statue of Liberty. Liberty. Yes. <laughs> I want to know where he got the, the, the... Aluminum foil? Sprinklers? No. Sparklers. Where did he get the sparklers from? <laughs> Probably could have made it himself. I so, mean, that's all you need is a little bit of sulfur and... Oh, yeah. Just, yeah, I can make one now. Here. There, there you go. go. Isn't it pretty? Keep a distance. <laughs> I, don't want burn, I don't want to burn the fuzzy pink slippers. I am not wearing those anymore. Don't <laughs> ask me. Anymore? No. I'm not. I'm not. No. Episode 22. Payday. Attention all personnel. Attention. The Eagle screams today. It's payday. All personnel will kindly form an orderly stampede. <laughs> Pay, payday. From March 4th, 1975. A cleric Clerical error results in a in a payday windfall for Hawk. Klinger tries to bribe Henry, Henry for his discharge, and Frank buys Margaret some pearls. 
<laughs> Directed by Hi Averback. <laughs> ah, but yeah, say, but this episode here, of course, we have the second and final appearance by Jack Sue. Jack Sue, yes, as Kim Chung Kwok. He previously appeared in To Market To Market as Black Market Dealer Charlie Lee in season one. And we also have Eldon Quick reprising his role from the Captain Incubator Sloan. as Captain Sloan. Father Mulcahy responds to Radar's uh, donating to the orphanage. I'm casting bread upon the waters, my son. Oh, no, Father, I'd never do that. Food is sacred. <laughs> this is from Ecclesiastics 11.1. <laughs> okay. The $10 left over from Hawk paying out the enlisted men is the equivalent of $118 today. Hmm. Damn. Okay. <laughs> no wonder he wants to find out where that's supposed to go. <laughs> now, let's see here. First and only appearance by Patricia Marshall as Lieutenant Nelson. She was the female poker player. Ah, okay. And Patricia Marshall, the poker player, poker playing Lieutenant Nelson, was MASH producer Larry Gelbart's wife. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this is the first time I remember, and I know they've played poker in the past, but I think this was the first time that a female actually sat at the table. I think so, yeah. Loretta Swit, you know, Hot Lips, she would go on to play poker with them a yeah. few times later on in the series. But, no, I think this was like the first time that a female was sitting at the yeah, poker table. Yeah, definitely. Up until, yeah, up until who? Yeah, because I do remember uh, Margaret sitting in. Um Hawkeye says he's lost $3,000 from his civilian practice doing, yep. due to being in the war. Right. The $3,000 in today's money would be $35,000. Ooh, jeez. Uh, Kim Chong Quack is trying to sell pearls for $1,500. That's $17,000 in, in today's money. So he's really trying to sell them for a lot. Uh, for the pearl necklaces, he's a great um, negotiator. He went from fifteen hundred down to two fifty. Yeah, I got some pearls here. The oysters cried when they gave them up. <laughs> Those are real beauts. Fifteen hundred bucks, and I don't haggle. Too rich for my blood. Yeah, yeah, eight hundred. But we didn't haggle. Not a penny more than five. You got him, and I'll throw in an imitation set for fifty bucks. No extra charge. Klinger is bribing Henry with eighty-two hundred dollars in today's money. So the money that he's offering, the total amount that he's offering, mm-hmm. would be the equivalent to eighty-two hundred dollars today. And I and don't forget the quarter for the yeah. locker room <laughs> in Grand Central Station. And I love, I love how Margaret fools Frank into getting the real pearls. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, bring scratching them through your oh, teeth. No, these yep. are definitely real, Frank. Yep. <laughs> so let's see here. Um, when Father Mulcahy is leaving the poker game, he says he's going to curl up with the good book. But in the very next scene, which is taking place practically simultaneously from the poker game, Mulcahy is all of a sudden playing piano in the officer's club. Maybe mm. <laughs> he started reading the book and said, nah, this is boring. Yeah, I'd rather go play. <laughs> I'd rather go play piano. Yep. Um, when the peddler, Quok, tries to sell his real pearl necklaces, he says that the oysters worked for a year to produce them, the, produce the set he had. But according to IMDb, to generate pearls of that size... Oysters incubate them for several years, at least. In Mm. addition, matched strands of pearls are rarely ever completed in one cycle, but may take as much as 10 years to acquire enough pearls of the same color and size for the necklace. Wow. 
I don't. I, yeah, it's yeah. like that was, that's impressive. That is impressive for so. a byproduct of an animal. Yep. And let's see. Yeah, I know, right? Um, my last note here. Let's see. Captain Sloan. He shows up at three a.m. to investigate the three thousand three thousand dollars paid out to Hawkeye and bring him back to headquarters. This makes no sense because number one, it's like it's extremely dangerous to drive on unlit roads. Mm-hmm. And you know, this you know, it, it, I mean, just and, and on top of that, it's inconvenient. True, but he is the equivalent is thirty five thousand dollars. So yeah. if somebody wants that found, I guess so. But <laughs> go yeah, but, find it. But the other thing is, it's not like roads were lit, and mm-hmm. because you're in the military, you have to. You know, I would think it might. You kind of have to observe like lights out conditions. So yeah. wouldn't you've had to keep the headlights on the jeep turned off. Maybe. So it's like, how are you going to get there in the dark? Uh, they gave him the the green goggles. Is that what all the uh, night vision? <laughs> night vision okay. goggles. Yeah. Uh, that was there. There was something about Trapper in an officer's poker game winning thirty five thousand yep. and eight dollars. That just seems highly unlikely that that much money would be involved in an officer's poker game. Yep. Well, <laughs> the other thing was is that I suppose he could have made up anything he wanted. But when he leaves the the room where they're playing poker, because he's got, you know, four four tens, I think was his, was his hand. Okay, so he had, yeah, he had so he had four of a kind. Mm-hmm. So that's a there's a good chance he's going to win that round. Yeah, but he had nothing to bet with. So okay, if he's leaving the room because he needs to go get something to be able to use to bet with. Yeah. Surely the other team, the other players would have been like, okay, he must have a really hot hand, so full. Yeah, I would have been like, oh, don't worry about leaving. We'll just, yeah, yeah, you yeah. Can, you're at yours. Maybe, you know? yeah. They could have thought that maybe he was uh, bluffing. Right. Uh, also, that's even more likely since he had been losing all night. You know, he left to go get more money. They're like, hey, this guy's basically an ATM. Come yeah, on. <laughs> right. Yeah, sure, go get some more money. We'll take it. Right. Yeah. I mean, when you, you figure that, um, what is it? I think Henry is counting his money, and he was like, he made a, like a whopping $472 or something like that. That's still a lot of money. Well, yeah, that's a lot yeah. of money. But, you know, the other thing, it's like it's a military script, you know, and he has to put some aside for whatever. But, you know, it's like, where do you come up with $3,000, you, yeah. <laughs> you know, in a pot? I mean, it's like, okay, all the officers, I mean... There was only like three or four people in the room playing, and if each one made the same amount, roughly, considering that Henry, you know, he's he's probably making the most because he's the commanding officer. Yeah. Everybody below him would have been making less, so it's like, so let, let's just, for simplicity's sake, let's suppose that all the other people that are playing are only making three hundred seventy-two dollars, mm-hmm. so hundred dollars less. Okay, there were three or four people playing, so that's only twelve hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, it's highly unlikely that that. That amount of money would be yeah. in, a, in unless, a poker game. Unless they were saving it up. <laughs> I guess. You know, but I don't know back then. I don't know that I'd want to waste it on a poker game. I, I could see maybe it being a little more uh, plausible if it was the the officer's convention or, or officer's meeting that they have with Sydney. Okay. You know, when he comes down to play poker. Okay. You, that's, I think they did that, what, once a month? I think it's something what like they, that. Wait, they, what that's, they that's how that's how they yeah because yeah, they get paid once a that, month. That that maybe you're saving up your money and coming down once a month for. Maybe. Yeah. The other thing is this, this thought just actually just popped into my head. I can see when Hawkeye starts handing out the money. The first guy that walks in, you know, he has to announce who he is, is all that stuff, and he signs the piece of paper, and then Hawkeye starts to give him the money, 
And I mean, he's giving him a wad, like a wad of cash. Yeah, 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 it's like a half inch thick wad of cash, like yeah. two stacks of that, and then you know, like thirty, forty, fifty cents, or three, four, whatever. And it's like, how even did, if those were ones? Yeah, it's like that's that was like that's quite a stack of cash. And I mean, again, I don't know if military script denominations are done differently than than dollars um but it was just it's like wow that's a lot i mean that was quite a stack of cash yeah it was yeah it was up there and he got more than one yeah yeah so so episode 23 white gold white gold not to be confused with black gold no that's black gold (laughs) march 11th 1975 in quotations heavy quotations Intelligence Officer Colonel Flagg <laughs> investigates investigates attempted penicillin theft at the 4077. I think by now he's probably moved on from the CIA through D. Now he's up to like the CIR or CIS <laughs> or something. CIT something, you know. Directed by Hi, Hi. <laughs> Stetford Rep. I think we ought to just save that as a little clip. Just you just saying, directed by High Averbeck. Just just save that as a clip <laughs> and just hit play in between for each episode. High Averbeck. High Averbeck. Yep. Let's see how many more he does. Stafford Rep plays Sergeant Clay, if I wrote that Stafford correctly. Stafford Rep is Sergeant Clay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He also played Chief O'Hara on Batman 66. And if I remember correctly, I didn't write this down, but he passed away soon after doing this. So this is like his last television appearance. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was great uh, in this. He was great in Batman 66, and I'm sure anything else that he did do. Hilly Hicks, that's an interesting name. Hilly Hicks plays Corporal Perkins yep. in this episode, and he will return in Season 5, Episode 24, yep. post-op, mm-hmm. to play Corporal Moody. Yep. Yay! <laughs> it appears that Colonel Flag, the Colonel Flag that we know is back. It's not the overtly racist and and murderistic <laughs> guy from the last episode that we saw mm-hmm. uh, doesn't seem to acknowledge the previous encounters at the 4077 uh, in episode one of the match files uh, I we were talking about the relationship between Hawk and Trap and Hawk and BJ and how Hawk and Trap if, if Hawkeye came in and said hey Trap we're going to do this Trap would be like okay Let's go do it. You know, he'd be all for mm-hmm. it. They were kind of... Yeah. Losing buddies. Yeah, yeah. 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 Same yep. some sort of personalities and whatnot. And BJ would be like, if, if Hawk came in and said, hey, let's do this, uh, BJ would be like, are you sure you really want to do that? Yeah, well, let's I mean, rethink this let's, a let's second. Yeah. So in this episode, uh, in order to stop Colonel Flagg from, from whatever he's doing that they don't like, <laughs> uh, they remove his appendix. They, they give him unnecessary surgery, and I believe, if I remember correctly, it's actually Trap's idea, maybe. It was kind of vague on who actually came up with the idea to, to do this, but this is a mirror to a future episode where Hawkeye decides to do unnecessary surgery on, on a general or somebody to take them out of the picture because he's he's... Just throwing waves of his men, he has the highest. Colonel Lacey. Cas- he has the highest casualty rate. Yeah, it's Colonel Lacey, and that's in like season four or five, something like that. Yeah, so Hawk Hawk is like, well, you know, we'll just do the surgery, and that'll take him out of the picture. And in that episode, BJ's like, 
I, I don't think we should do this. It's not right. And if I remember correctly, he doesn't take part. No, he, he flat out tells him that's mutilation. Yeah, he's like, you I'm do this, you do it on your own. But in this, it's handled much lighthearted. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Trap is like, yeah, let's let's go for it. Or mm-hmm. even if it was Trap's idea, they both do it. What was in the coffee? Yeah, what was in the coffee? What was in the coffee? Yeah, so that was my observation of this preventative medicine. There it is. That's right. Episode 22, season 7. Yep. Um, I should read my own notes. There you go. <laughs> uh, this would actually be the last TV appearance by or performance by Stafford Rep. He passed away four months after the episode aired. Or, excuse me, he passed away four months before or the episode aired. The episode aired. Really? Four months? That's what it says. Wow. So I wonder when... Wow. Yeah, they, they are, they're, yeah, they're filming... Four, a four-month gap between... Airing and wow, okay. I didn't know. Well, I remember now editing is not the computer science that it is today. True, computer wizardry. True, but still, hmm, okay, wow. Frank Burns smokes a pipe, does he? Yeah, he has a pipe in his mouth at one point. (laughs) He likes MacArthur, yeah, but this was this was a straight out pipe, this wasn't like corn cob, you know, like he supposedly spoke. When the three soldiers who are trying to steal the penicillin run through the camp, the sound. That their boots makes running across the floor. It's definitely you can tell this is a stage and not on dirt. Yeah, and I found it. I don't know if you did or not, but I found it difficult to hear what was going on in the tents that they were passing because mm-hmm. they came by. That I I guess based on their direction, they're in between the tents and the helicopter pad, and that they like they go past McCall, uh, Mulcahy's tent and then Margaret's tent. And then maybe another tent after that. But they're saying stuff in the tent, which causes the laugh track to go off. And I'm like, I can't hear what they're saying. Mm. <laughs> Could you hear what they were saying? No. No. Because I think Fra- uh, Frank and Margaret were in the tent, probably. Okay. Or something. Mulcahy said something. And- he was, I think he was just like saying his evening prayer before going to mm-hmm. bed. Yeah. yeah, I know what you're talking about. I remember that Yeah, but I thought it was like, this is way too low. I can't hear it. Yeah. Yeah. And just to add, I had a comment here. The doctors are fine with performing an unnecessary appendectomy in this episode, but in a later season, they consider it to be mutilation and immoral. True. And in this episode, it doesn't get Colonel Flagg kicked out of the army. Nope, because he comes back several times. He does come back, yeah. But in the future, uh, in season seven, it gets that general or whatever thrown out. Or not thrown out, but discharged. Okay. Funny, funny, funny. Funny. All right, so that brings us to the final episode, episode 24, which, cliffhanger, we're going to do a whole episode in and of itself. That's right, we're doing another part. It'll be part four for Abby seeing you, Henry, and I think if you've ever seen the episode, you know why. Mm-hmm. But there's lots of stuff that I want to pull for this episode, and I want to give it the treatment that it deserves because it was it was a, uh, it was a except, big yeah, moment it's a, yeah. in TV history. So, yep. Thank you very much for joining us for part three of The Mash Files, episode three. I am Seabus Brian. And I am Seabus John. And as always, if you have any comments you'd like to make, if you like what we're doing, if you don't like what we're doing, if you want to tell us to drop dead, <laughs> um, you know, please uh, send us an email, mashfiles4077 at gmail.com. Or you can visit our website at themashfiles.com. It will take you to anywhere you want to go. It also has pictures from our visit to the Malibu Creek uh, State Park, the filming set for 
the MASH series, and uh, it'll also get you to whatever uh, link you need to go to for your podcast needs, although if you're listening to this, you probably already have. So thank you very much for joining us, and we will see you again soon, so to speak. Stay tuned for part four. Yay! Yay!